Hi everyone, Lucy Kippist here. I'm the editor of Flying Solo and the host of this podcast where we peek inside the everyday lives of our inspiring small business community. 2021 is set to be a year of fresh starts with plenty of people within our community using the processes we developed to meet the challenges of 2020 to new use or probably more strategic use. If that sounds like part of your plan, then today's guest happens to be an expert in something that might just blow your mind as it has mine. Alan Stevens is an international profiling and communications specialist who believes the better people learn to read the facial characteristics and body languages others, the safer and happier this world and our businesses can be. Alan, welcome to the Flying Solo podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. It's fabulous to have you on the show. I've been doing lots of reading about you and congratulations. We're speaking now towards the middle of December and you've just won a big award and I'll get you to tell me again what the name of the award was. Well, actually, there were three. It was uh, first of all, Business Person of the Year for the um, Hunter Valley in Newcastle area. Uh, the following night, then through the uh, BX network, I uh, picked up the Education uh, Business of the Year and also the Gold Business of the Year for Australia and New Zealand. Amazing. Extraordinary work. Congratulations on all of those. Thank you very much. I feel like this interview probably should be done face-to-face, but I don't like doing podcasts <laughs> with video, so we're in a bit of an awkward space there. But regardless, we'll press on with it. So the work that you do sounds extraordinarily complex in many ways but I guess like anything once you learn how to do it it can become second nature. I wanted to ask you firstly about why and when you started the business. Well I'll start with the uh, why first of all and that was because I was dreadful at reading people. I'd been through a good part of my life I'd been through a lot of relationships, two divorces to start with, uh, business partners who emptied the bank out And I've been thrown in the deep end in a lot of different areas, first in business, in the surf club, and then uh, after my first wife left, raising three boys on my own, I was 4, 11 and 12. So I went through a long period of, you know, realising I just needed to understand what made people tick. I needed to be able to have a better understanding of them. And that's how it started. Uh, When it started, well, it's been pretty much a progression through life from uh, my early ages of not really connecting into my uh, early 20s when I was put in charge of a group of men who were all older than me. My second in charge was 38. I had to get them on side. In my mid-30s, I was involved with the surf club. I became a patrol captain, then a club captain, and then zone supervisor of three beaches. And now I was the same age as everybody else. But as they pointed out, I'd only been there five minutes because I joined the surf club in my 30s when they joined it when they were kids as uh, young nippers. And then, as I said, my first wife left him. I was in my about 38 at the time, late 30s, and I had three boys to raise. So from being the uh, youngest in the business to the least experienced in the surf club to, as I say, right out of my depth raising the boys, I'd had plenty of incentives as to why I needed to uh, read people. And I've been working with a lot of different uh, systems, starting off, first of all, with profiling people through uh, psychometric profiling, Myers, Briggs, DISC, and other programs like that. I've been a a massage therapist, a um, aromatherapist, worked with color therapies and sound therapies, 
but still needed to understand people more effectively. And it was when my second wife left, uh, when I was uh, just before I turned 50, that uh, I realised I really needed to get into it. And through some chance meetings and helping uh, a friend do a, um, a, a spiritual retreat where I was doing a psychometric profiling uh, workshop, Someone said to me, ever looked at reading faces? And I went, ooh, that sounds cool. Mm. And that's what started me. So I found the two specialists, uh, Paul Ekman, who did all the micro-expression training, and a lady by the name of Naomi Tickle, uh, an English lady living in California who uh, worked with the facial features and uh, put it all together with the body language, which I've been working with for a long time, and uh, NLP practices, and created Rapid Trait Profiling, which has now become unique worldwide. And I believe that you... You also do some work with Disney now. How does that fit into all of it? Oh, Disney. Well, what happened there was that was in 2016. Uh, They were doing a joint venture with um, uh, Gillette. Gillette had a new razor they were were bringing out. And at the same time, they were using the players from the Star Wars Rogue One movie as uh, the players in that ad. So Disney and uh, Gillette both hired me to fly to London to be part of the um, launching of the, the new show and also the ad as well. And my job was to be interviewed by the world's press that they flew in about 120 journalists from around the world. And my job was to explain to them the stories the face tells before you utter a single word. And the best way I could do that uh, was stand there for three hours profiling all the journalists, one after the other. <laughs> I would have given you some serious insight there into the personalities of journalists. <laughs> well, I got uh, written up all over the world and quite favourably as well, even as far as Russia, Romania, Italy, Spain, all over the place. Wow. And so uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, especially when I had to work through some of the translators as well. Wow, that's fascinating as well. There's so much I'd like to ask you, but I think I think I need to narrow it down a little bit, but certainly with all that in mind, what's the very first thing that you would look at when you meet someone? Well, there's a number of traits and one trait that I look at because, first of all, no trait is more important than another trait and every trait has an upside and every trait has a downside. And the main reason I read people is so that I can understand them better and therefore create a better relationship. You know, where the micro expressions, I know some people use that for lie detection. I prefer to use it for truth seeking. So in other words, I want to know what your emotions are. I want to then find out why you're feeling those emotions. Is there something going on that I can help you with? And yes, at the, at the very far end, are you telling me the truth? So that if you are a con artist, I can catch you out on that as well. But when I meet people for the first time, they're face to face, there's one trait in particular I look for, and that is so that I can read that person and know how much space they need. Because if I step into your space, I know that um, and you know, I know that we're doing this as an audio, and I've already cheated. I've just gone to your LinkedIn profile and pulled your photograph up there. <laughs> so, yes, you can do this from photographs. Right. And uh, I know that when you meet people for the first time, you're relatively friendly with everybody. Uh, there are some people who you will find as being more reserved, more discerning. They step back and keep away from people not because they're not friendly, but because they like to uh, work out who's safe to be around and who's not not safe to be around. You're about middle of the road, but then you've got someone like me who is over-affable. 
I'm friendly with everybody. And to my downfall, that could mean before I could read and pick up uh, the truth in people, uh, I could get caught. I could have been uh, caught by the con artist. And as I said, I had a lot of business partners who entered the bank out. So um, uh, that's one trait I need to know. And the only reason I want to know that one is I want to make sure that you're comfortable when I meet you for the first time. How much space do you need so I don't invade your space? Because if I invade your space, you're not listening to anything I'm saying. You're just trying to get comfortable. And so that's... Yes. Yeah, such a great point, actually. Never thought about Mm. that before, but it's true, isn't it? And certainly Mm. in the context of this conversation being that we're all small business owners in this community, and we'll get to that a bit later, but, Mm. I mean, certainly that's something you need to consider when you're attempting to sell something to a person. See, I'll give you... I'll tell you what this trade is, if you like. When somebody's looking straight at you, and you look at their pupils and imagine a vertical line going up through the pupil through the eyebrow above and look at the height of the coloured section of the eye, the iris, and get an idea of how big that is and ask yourself, would that fit into the gap between your upper eyelash and the um, eyebrow? And if the gap is large, that person needs more space. If the person, the eyebrows are very, like George Clooney, they're almost down on his eye, his eyebrows and eyelashes almost touch. That's somebody who is quite happy to be stand, uh, to have you stand close to them and they'll stand close to you. Mm. So just remember, if you're talking to somebody, they've got very high set eyebrows. Natural thing is they just like a bit of space. Not that they're not friendly. They're just trying to work out whether you're uh, safe to be around or not. If you respect their space, they will uh, recognise and uh, be uh, uh, attracted to mm. you a lot sooner. Fascinating. And so my next question was going to be, do we all naturally lean towards looking, like, are we all more inclined to look for a particular trait in a, in a stranger? But I think, I think the answer to that would probably be no, right? I mean, certainly for me, I'm always looking if I can trust someone. And for me, mm. I look into their eyes. I can't tell you what it is that I see, but I you know, I'm always looking in someone's eyes as an indication of their level of trustworthiness and that's based on just nothing. That's <laughs> just based on mm. me. But what, mm. is, do people come to you and often say they're looking for a particular, how to confirm a particular trait? Like is trust a common one? Well, trust comes into, is more to your character. The, uh, the way the facial features work, and I'll, I'll explain this because I know a lot of people are probably listening to this going, oh, facial features, it sounds a bit woo-woo. It sounds a bit like that old phrenology that they had where particular face shapes would be criminals and that sort of rubbish. Yeah. If you lift weights, you're going to build muscles in your arms, your legs, etc. At the same time, we know that everything we feel, we express outwardly in our emotions. And so if we concentrate in a certain way, we really think very deeply, then we're going to pull expressions while we're thinking. And those ridges and crevices that we create are now a history of how we like to think and process. That is your personality, not your character. So two people who look very similar, one could be a saint, one could be a sinner. But quite often what we look for in people's faces is something from quite often as a bias. It might be that a particular face, um, somebody in the past has done the wrong thing by you and you're looking for people who have a similar appearance. And, of course, if we didn't trust that first person because they did the wrong thing by us, the natural thing is not to trust the next person that looks like them. Mm -hmm. But the problem there is, as I said, it's personality, not character. 
two people can look similar. One will, uh, or both will think in a similar way, but one could be a saint, one could be a sinner. One's trying to figure out how do I build better connections with people because I want to help them. And the other one's figuring out how do I rip them off? Yeah, right. And so being able to get beyond those misnomers and well, how many times have you heard somebody speak, everything sounded perfectly okay, but you had that gut feeling that something was wrong? Yep, that happens. Yeah. Yep. And what happens there is two things. One, either that person has reminded you of somebody who's done the wrong thing by you in the past and now you've misjudged that person you're now listening to, or you picked up the nonverbals, the little expressions, the little twitches in the face, the uh, body language, the tone of voice, all those nonverbal indicators and unconsciously we recognise it, but consciously we don't know what we've actually seen. And that's why we go, oh, there's something wrong here, but I don't know what. So really what I do when I'm training people is teach them how to pick up what is a bias from a past experience and what is it that they're really seeing so they can be more accurate in making that determination about that person. Fascinating. So you mentioned gut instinct then. Mm. You're, what you're saying is your gut instinct can sometimes be a trigger from things that you're seeing in, in a person. That's right. Or hearing from a person as opposed to actual gut instinct, which is exactly. sort of like a message from your brain telling you danger. That's it. Because in some one side you're picking up the nonverbals, the you know, the the expression, the tone of voice, the hesitation, the you know, colour of the skin's changing, the body language. Uh, all of those things can uh, give away information. As they say, we take in about two million bits of information every second, but process about 134 bits. The difference there is massive. And we distort, generalise and delete information. And so while there's so much going on, what we focus on is what we're going to recognise. So if we're focusing on the fact that that person reminds you of somebody who's done the wrong thing, of course we're going to behave towards them that way and we actually create the self-fulfilling prophecy because they're picking up our non-verbals as well at the same time. Mm. And they're then making a determination on that. This is why so often two decent people can clash so heavily. Mm. Fascinating. I've never heard it explain like that before it's it's quite simple when you break it down into it because i know that a lot of people try and like make it uh, mystical as i say i'm i'm not uh, clairvoyant i don't read the future or anything else and as you said before when you look at people you're picking up whether you trust them and everything from their eyes as they say the eyes are the windows to the soul but at the same time, your facial features and expressions and body language are a window to your mind. Mm. So when you look at somebody, if you take in the whole face and you're looking at, you know, you'll pick up so many things, the twitches, the changes in uh, uh, the colour of the, uh, the skin and everything else, depending on what's said or what happens at that particular time. So there's so much information there to work with. So much information. And like you said, you mentioned before that you looked at my LinkedIn photo. So how much do you mm. rely on seeing a person in real life to really read them? Is it enough just to see a photo or do the, does the way I speak and my mannerisms reveal more information? Well, I'll give you an example of how I've used this. I had a, uh, a mother um, came to me about 10 years ago now. Her son at the time had Asperger's, or still does, of course. He was six years old. School didn't want him. After school's care didn't want him. She was a single mum and struggling with time. And she asked if I'd profile a son for her, and I said, yes, I could. But she said, you know, um, do you need to see him? And I said, well, if you can just uh, send me. I said, first of all, will he sit still? And she said, no, he's running all over the place. I find it very difficult to settle, settle him down. I went, okay. 
can you take some photographs for me? And there were five photographs um, uh, that I wanted in a particular way. She sent me those. I then gave her a report. This is now 10 years later and she's still doing testimonial videos for me because they were able to uh, reduce the medication that he was on. They Over a year and a half, two years, they re- didn't need the psychologist anymore. She taught the teachers and the, school t- and the after-schools care on how to speak to him in the way that he needed to be spoken to and immediately changed his behaviour. Right. So if we set anybody's environment up that is conducive to their personality, they're going to be more comfortable, less things are going to trigger them. And so... This stuff works right across the board. So all I need is photographs. And of um, another gentleman who uh, is a uh, builder, he'd quoted $2 million on a uh, commercial building. The two clients that he had uh, got him to show me their faces and the one he'd been talking to about the money because the clients wouldn't go above $1.6 million. Uh, the problem was he was talking to the one who had all the facial features that said he was about the service and he was talking to him about money, which was a mismatch. At the same time, the other uh, partner was about the money, but also about short-term projects, getting things done quickly. So I told him how to change the way he spoke to both men. He then uh, added another $150,000 to his original quote and signed him off on it, simply because he was able to change the language to connect with the way the people needed to be spoken to. Yes, fantastic, because this this would be my next question as well. I mean, as small business owners... We are like the the men that you've just described there. We're always looking Mm. for potential clients. We're trying to strike a deal. And the problem is obviously that even though the exchange might be the same all the time, product and service for money, Mm. the people that we're dealing with obviously have a different set of needs or they see their, their needs differently and they've got different personalities. What is, I think you mentioned it there, but what is that particular profile characteristic we should be looking for in their facial features or body language as we're speaking to them in order to make that decision for ourselves? Is that an easy question to answer or, yeah? Yeah, so it's not really the traits or the um, uh, expressions or anything else in any one of those in particular. It's the congruency between what's being said and what uh, you're seeing. As I said, the facial features will tell me someone's personality. From that, I know how to structure my presentation or how the conversation's going to go. And then I'm looking for the body language and the micro expressions, the little twitches on the face that tell me, number one, have I read them right? Number two, is there something emotionally going on? So can I then, you know, if I'm trying to sell to somebody, I want to find out what their problem is first of all, work through that and then go back to the sale. Uh, or at the very far end, are they uh, you know, being honest with me in the first place? So I'm looking for all the indicators in clusters. It's like I remember when I grew up, there was um, one of the fashions that we had in houses. There were three clay pit, uh, ducks that were on the wall and they used to say, get your ducks in a row. That was the term at the time. So you look for as many indicators you can, and if they're all pointing in one direction, then that's pretty much the direction the flock is going. So you know then that that's true. But if you've got indicators which one's pointing in one direction, another one's pointing in another, there's incongruencies there. Mm -hmm. So you're looking for combinations of traits. You're listening to what's going on, the expressions and everything else. But you're also, is it congruent with what we're talking about as well? And so that comes down to putting it all together and uh, looking for those anomalies. And I guess that then works, that speaks to 
when if we're conducting most of our business over the phone, mm. we're looking for that congruency, I guess, in a different way then. Yes, we're listening to the tone. Yeah. So if you've got a chance of seeing the person, like my cold call to, a, say, a business executive, there's a good chance that their photograph will be on LinkedIn, Facebook or a website somewhere. If I can find their photograph, I've got it on the screen before I call them. Mm-hmm. Then while I'm talking to them on the phone, after the quick introduction, I'll ask them if I I'll just say, look, have you had this situation? I'll talk about one of their traits if they were talking to somebody with the opposite trait because I know how they would clash. And I go, have you had that happen to you? And they go, yes, and I'll talk about another trait. And then I go, where are you getting all this from? And I go, oh, from your face. And they say to me, but we're on the phone. I go, oh, sorry, I've got your uh, LinkedIn profile or your website, whatever it is. And that's what I'm getting for you. They go, you're getting that from my face. And I go, yes. Now, imagine if I can do that from your photograph, what could you do if you were able to read your staff in the same way? Would you have a better understanding of them? Would you have better and more loyal staff? Would you be able to communicate more effectively? And your salespeople, uh, would they be able to connect with your clients more, value add to the uh, sales? Would they be able to shorten the sales cycle? Would they be able to value add? And they go, yes. And I go, well, when are we meeting? And that becomes the cold call that I have when I'm talking to uh, executives. So, and at the same time, if I don't have the face, then I'm listening to those changes in the voice. And so I'll go with the audible nonverbals, so to speak. Uh, but the, if the thing is the face just gives you so much information. And if you can get there, see their photograph somewhere, there is so much information. Another, another vote for becoming a Facebook stalker. well if people say what do you do Alan I go I'm I'm a Facebook stalker (laughs) I'm a nice one though Um, social media stalker so it's like I've had a very quick look at your Facebook page and I saw as Harry's your son is that right that's right yeah and I looked at him and I knew straight away that he can't sit still yeah he looks like he's also got a sequential learning style and he doesn't like long-term projects he likes variety so at his young age I can see that there can be some issues at school but knowing how to read him, there's information there in which you can then take to the teachers so that they can understand him more effectively so that he doesn't have a hard time at school and he actually enjoys school more, uh, more at a greater level. And if he enjoys school, he's going to be more productive and he's going to perform better. Wow, That's, that is actually very true. Good summary there. Yeah. I'm going to send you all my photos soon. <laughs> so, Alan, you, you're, you do work as an individual coach so you, you're coaching mm-hmm. individual clients the way that I understand it from looking at your website you can go down a couple of paths with your work obviously this kind of work has overlay into every aspect of our lives but mm. to give it some context for our audience we can go to you to help improve our personal relationships yes we can also go to you in terms of putting that in the context of our business and looking to build better relationships and get better results for our businesses, mm-hmm. what do you think is the biggest value of one of that one of your courses could bring to a small business owner? Our flying solo audience are people running businesses on their own, largely, so there's no team or anything. What do you think one of your courses can best bring to them? Well, starting off with the point that there are seven uh, secrets when I talk about um, uh, reading people. The first three are the most important. The first one is know yourself. The second one is be able to read the other person. And the third one is know how to change the way you like to be spoken to to the way that they want to be spoken to. So the very first one, know yourself first of all. 
How many times do we do things over and over and we go, oh, God, I've done that again. Why do I do that? Well, if you understand your personality, you understand how you've been pre-wired, what's been passed down from your parents, and then also what we have created in response to our environment, so what they call nature and nurture, we understand why we do the things that we do. And in that point, once we understand that, we can take the pressure off ourselves and go, oh, now I know. Okay, so in this situation, I can see why I get triggered. So now I can structure my environment so that I don't get triggered. I don't put myself in those situations. If I see them starting to come up, I can circumvent that. Then being able to read somebody else, you know, I can then speak to them in the right way. Now, we all have in or an impression of where we are in the world scale. What I do when I teach people is go, okay, there is on the world scale, there's one extreme and there's another extreme on every trait, but where do you sit in comparison to everybody else? Because we all have a, an impression of ourselves and we are the centre of our universe. Although there be people who are more confident than us or less confident, but how confident I am to the next person. So I need to be able to know myself, then I need to be able to read them, see where I vary to, uh, to, uh, against where they sit on the line and therefore I know how to change my uh, language. I could be somebody who's analytical, but some people are going to be even more analytical and I'm going to have to give them a lot more information to make a connection with them. And there'll be other people who are very much just give me the overview. I don't know if I give them a lot of detail that I would normally need, they're going to switch off. Halfway, halfway through the conversation, I'll not only talk my way into the sale, I'll also talk my way out of the sale. And so being able to recognise myself, first of all, recognise the other person and then knowing how to speak to them, I can then match them at their level which means then I'm going to build rapport much faster because and at the bottom line is there is no such thing as a business relationship. Every relationship is a personal one because people talk to people. Businesses don't talk to businesses. And so know yourself first of all, work on understanding the other person, talk to them in the way that they want to be spoken to, and you'll always have a better relationship they say that it's somewhere between seven touch points to 21 touch points that we have to go through before we get a sale. Well, the more you can build rapport up the front end, you're getting closer to being down the front end where it's only seven touch points, or if you don't make the connection with them, it's going to be 21 touch points if you make it then. And half the time at 21 touch points, you know, you end up feeling like a stalker. Yeah. And so the more that... A sole trader, because I am a sole trader. Yes. I don't have a team working for me. I have a lot of strategic alliances. And so I have a lot of um, business associates and what I call partnerships, like profit partners, collaboration partners and others, affiliate partners. And I found that with these skills, I can build strong relationships with them. And I know that I can then give them the information the way that they need to receive it, and especially about what I do, so they can go out and promote it to other people in the right way. So I don't pay for advertising. I have a team of people who are advertising me all the way through uh, their networks. And because I'm also a people person, I'm also understanding them really well so I can promote them to my networks as well mm. in that reciprocal arrangement. So, I mean, I've heard you mention that a few times now in terms of you being um, being a very affable sort of person, which you can tell just by talking to you. But do you think if we're coming to do your course that, we need to have a certain state of mind. Like say we're not naturally that nice, <laughs> we're not <laughs> that open. but we know we need to work on this. 
obviously we're going to have to bring a bit of openness to this to these ideas because as as you say mm. and it doesn't sound woo woo to me but maybe to some people it might it is scientific mm. but is there is there a level of open mindedness we need to bring to this for it to work I'll give you an example I get some sales people who come to me and they just want to get more sales and once we start training I know that their whole focus is on getting more money well Part of any sale is finding out, you know, why does somebody want something? What is behind that? What's the emotional um, uh, gain that they get out of achieving? Like more sales is just, okay, more sales, but what is it they get out of more sales? They get more time. It might be, what do you want that more time for? It's spending time with the family or whatever. In those conversations, I'm really connecting with the person. And while I'm training them, as they realise if they want to make more money, you do that through the relationship you build. So if you just focus on, get, focus on getting more money, I guarantee you're not going to make a lot of money. But if you focus on making a great connection with the other person, finding out what they really need, and so when you find out what they really need, that's when you can really value add to what you've already got to offer them. And this is when you start making much bigger money. And so even though salespeople go, I just want to make extra money, when they've been training with me, it's not long before they're focusing on really getting a connection with that other person. And in a lot of ways, it's changing their behaviours to uh, the people around them. They're starting to treat everybody with a lot more respect and a lot more consideration. And I guess, and yeah, and then by default, they are making more money because that's attracting more business to them. That's exactly right. And that's the fastest way to make money is not to focus on making the money, but yeah. focus on building the relationships. Yeah. I keep saying to people, you know, it's like, uh, I say to all the coaches and professional services and that you're the concrete slab and on the concrete slab, you've got all the building, which is everybody else, all the people that use service. And they go, yep. And I go, right. Now, if you don't put footings down into the ground to hold that concrete slab still, because if a frost comes and gets underneath, the, it'll lift the slab up. If there's other buildings built around, there's pressures put on the ground, then it's not going to be long before your building starts to crack. And then after that, it falls. And it's the same thing with your business. Your relationships are the footings that uh, help you to build a strong relationship. And going into t uh, COVID, there were a lot of companies because they didn't focus on their people skills and building relationships that went to the wall almost in the first or second week. Yeah. And so when you've got the strong relationships, that's when you will weather the storms. And so build those relationships deep. And once you do that, everything else starts to flow. You can have all the services, all the um, systems, uh, you can have the best uh, product and service in the world, but unless you build a relationship, you're never going to get the chance to prove it. And if you're, somebody else has got you know, a slightly uh, not, not quite as good a product or service as you, but they build a relationship with the client, guess who's going to get the client? Yeah. It won't be you. So true. And when you put it that way, it's so obvious. Mm. But we just come at business from such a different Headspace, I Because, yeah, okay, if I, if I had a product and I, I know it sells at a certain price, I know what it's cost me, I know my markups and everything else, all that's tangible. But then when it comes to a relationship, that's intangible. We can't get a direct measure of it. But it's the intangible is far more important in your business than the tangibles will ever be. But mm. we've never recognised that because we do everything from logic, you know, and that's what your tangibles are. I can see the dollars and, uh, and cents and everything else. But the um, relationships are intangible, but they are emotional. And what do we do when we say to people, people don't buy logically, they buy emotionally? Mm -hmm. Yes, I need a car to get from A to B. There's the end of the logic. The car I buy after that, that's purely emotional. So true.
Now, you've given us a couple of great examples. I just wondered if you had a, a really good example of a, of a small business owner you've worked with who's had some really great results after shifting their mindset in that way and using some of your techniques? Well, one in the middle of COVID was uh, quite interesting. Then then during the course, he rang me and he said, well, look, I've got a client who has, uh, using COVID as an excuse, won't pay the full uh, uh, price of the uh, service I've just completed, and he's cancelled his next project. And I said, well, what was his excuse? He said, I don't have the money because of COVID, so hit downsizing and everything else. And I went, okay, show me the email you're going to send him. And I had a look at it and I went, forget it. You send him that, you've done the, um, uh, your chances. The conversation's over. His client wanted a $50,000 discount on the service he'd already provided. So when I had a look at it, I went, okay, show me his face, went through it and I said, look, this is how you need to speak to him. But also tell me about this project that he's cancelled. He said, well... He showed me, he took me through it and I went, right, so if this got put in place by the end of COVID, where would he be sitting financially? Oh, it'd be big dollars. I said, right, so when you go back to him, mention to him that it was a good idea that he had postponed the, uh, the, the second project because it had given them a lot of time to have a real good think about it and realise the best way to put this together. And by putting it together, this is where he'd be sitting uh, when uh, COVID was over. And, of course, it uh, stems on the relationship. You know, he knew the quality of the work they've done because of the previous project and talked about how that relationship is important to have to really be able to produce this. Without really mentioning uh, pay up the 50000 the other guy got the message and paid the 50000 and started the next project. And I've had confirmation that he's done that because they're also working with another organisation and uh, my clients come back to me and got me to profile them and also give him advice on how to uh, facilitate between the uh, four, this, this other client and another uh, uh, three people in the other organisation, how to facilitate between them and where problems will come up because of their different personalities. Wow. How to circumvent all of that. Extraordinary. And the last question I had for you, Alan, I could ask you a million other things, but you've been growing this business for a very long time now. Is it fair to say over 10 years? I wasn't quite sure. Well, with the, uh, the original profiling I was doing, that started back in the 80s. But the facial features and the facial expressions, that's been about 2008, 2009 I started. Okay. And so what, what would you say then is your ultimate, your ultimate goal now? A lot of my courses are now professional development programs for real estate in New South Wales, mortgage brokers around Australia, lawyers, accountants. I've got uh, courses now which will be going uh, towards uh, NASA, which is the governing body for school teachers in New South Wales. There's approval as an OPD program, ongoing professional development program for them. Once I get that in place and I'm going after the other governing bodies around Australia, what I want to be able to do with my target, and I know a lot of people will think this sounds crazy, but my target, because I don't have much in the way of competition, is to create and train my competition because... I can go deep in one uh, area or I can go wide. And every time I work with clients, it ends up working with their business, their families, their communities, everything else. So I've got a very narrow niche, but instead of it being vertical, it's horizontal. So I really need to work with coaches and uh, uh, professional service providers in all the different industries and train them up so that they can take my uh, 
my skills along with theirs, make themselves the uh, leaders in their fields and go out and train a lot more people. Hmm. At the end of the day, as they say, what we uh, do for ourselves dies, dies with us, but what we do for others and for our community isn't always will be eternal. And so it's one way of me leaving a legacy um, of um, other people doing what I'm doing because I'd like, I'd really hate to see this skill disappear when it's changed so many lives. I've got, as I said, clients who are still doing testimonial videos 10 years after I've uh, worked with them. Yeah. My passion is to really work with the, the parents and the kids and the school teachers because you work at that area. Kids grow up happier. They, they find the hobbies and sports that suit them. They find the careers that suit them. They're more stable in their work. If they're stable in their work and they're happy in their work, there's less um, uh, angst at work, which means then they go home and there's less uh, problems at home, less domestic violence. And if the couples are growing uh, uh, together, then their kids are also growing up and we end up repeating the cycle in a positive direction as opposed to going down the gurgler, which we've been doing for a long time. What an inspiring philosophy that is. Don't hear that answer very often. Incredible. Incredible. Thank you. I'm just blown away by the work that you do, Alan, and I would love you to plug the website and anything else that uh, you'd like to. Excellent. Well, I've got the my website is my name, which is Alan Stevens, A-L-A-N-S-T-E-V-E-N-S.com.au. If you go to that website, always go to the success story page and it's broken into six categories there of business, uh, children, school, uh, mental health, uh, coaching, etc. where you'll see video after video of um, uh, people's testimonials and what they've got out of it. And you'll see some of the faces there time and time again in business, in uh, raising their children. Um, a lot of my... Uh, uh, students became, uh, well, first of all, clients profiling their kids became my students to now working in association in joint ventures and other things around the area. So everything I do is in creating long-term relationships. I do have a training platform where people can buy courses online, which is alanstevens.thinkific, so the word think and ific.com, and that's where I find a lot of my online courses. But one of my passions, and everybody's welcome to come and join us there, is the Campfire Project. And the Campfire Project is a closed group on Facebook, originally for men, but women have been in there from day one. It's a safe place where men could come and give themselves permission to tell their stories. And I interview uh, men on Zoom, video interview them where they told their stories one-on-one. I then brought the men into the panel discussions. And that was when the women started sending me personal messages going, we've never heard men talk like this before. We love it. We want to have the conversations with them, which is what I had planned from day one. So uh, I started interviewing the women one-on-one and then did uh, panel discussions with both men and women and no subjects off the table. We've covered everything you can think of. Um, Menstruation, menopause, uh, pornography, masculinity, femininity, raising children, you know, as I go, so virtually what I do in my business, which is all about building relationships, my spiritual journey with the Campfire Project is aligned directly with it. Wow. Definitely something else to, to check out there. Mm. Alan, you're an extraordinary person. It's a total pleasure to have you on the show and um, best of luck with your incredible goal. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for having me here. <laughs>